Well, imagine what it would be like to be stuck in a foreign country. It's one thing to visit a foreign country or, or even live there temporarily. That's called a vacation or a luxury. But it's another thing altogether to be stuck in a country or forced into a country wanting to go home but unable to get there. Uh, earlier this year, that almost happened to Pastor Jared, our worship pastor, and I was there to watch it all unfold. Before I tell you the whole story, though, I do want to say hello again to everyone who's joining us on video somewhere and introduce myself to anybody who might be new today. My name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. We're starting a brand new sermon series today called Exiles, uh, and no matter how you're choosing to engage with us, for every Everyone who's with us, just so, so grateful that you are here. About one week before COVID really hit America, Jared and I were blessed to spend a, a week in Ecuador with the Compassion International Ministry. We got to visit some Compassion churches, meet Compassion-sponsored kids. We learned about the ministry, but we were also able to kind of see and experience the beautiful culture and country of Ecuador. Now, Jared speaks enough Spanish that in a pinch he could get by in a conversation. I don't know about you, but I myself speak no Spanish at all. Like when I try to speak Spanish, I, just, I should just point at things or, or, or do the universal uh, language of I have no idea what you're talking about, which is smile and nod really big. Or I talk louder and slower as if that will help them understand what I'm saying. You might know what I'm, what I'm talking about. So we ended our, our long and tiring week in Ecuador, headed towards the, the airport for our much-anticipated journey back home to our families with a first stop, a first connection in the country of Panama. Our connection was really tight, so we, we landed and rushed to our next gate where the plane was already boarding. So we scanned our, our tickets. Jared tried scanning his ticket, and it didn't scan. Tried again, didn't work. So they looked him up in the system and said, sir, you're not on this flight. We had printed tickets in hand. So he's like, what do you mean? I'm not on this flight. Like I have, I have a ticket. They said, you can't get on the plane. Now, all of our party had already scanned our tickets and the plane was boarding. So I looked at our compassion rep, who was also our, our guide for this trip. I said, what do we do? And he said, everybody just get on board, they'll figure it out. Right? When you're in a foreign country, you shouldn't say that. So we all get on board, our whole party, and we leave Jared to deal with the gate agents who spoke very broken English, and he speaks very broken Spanish. So I, I go to my seat waiting for Jared. We weren't even sitting together on the plane, but I didn't, he didn't come on. The, the flight attendant did all the normal announcements, still no sign of Jared. The flight attendant eventually said, with Jared not on board, everyone has checked in, we're going to close the doors. I started to panic. I can't imagine how Jared was feeling. If it were me, I would speak another universal language of suck my thumb and cry really hard. That's what I would have been doing if I were, were Jared. He had no cell phone coverage in Panama, so he couldn't get a hold of me. I couldn't get a hold of him. So I'm like frantically texting the compassion rep who's on the same flight as well, asking what we should do when much to my relief, Jared comes rushing on board, white as a ghost, goes, to, goes back to, to his seat. And I found out after the flight, they were trying to hold him in Panama. Now, 
to make him feel better, they offered a, a free night in a hotel, a rental car, and some money for food. But when you are alone in a foreign country that you've never been to before and speak very little of the native tongue, that is at worst, at worst, it is incredibly terrifying. At best, it is a massive, massive inconvenience. So imagine how the people of God felt in Exodus when they were held as slaves in Egypt away from their homeland for hundreds of years. Imagine how the people of God felt in Israel when the Assyrians came in, invaded their land, and took them away to a foreign land. Imagine how the people of God felt when, when Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Jerusalem and, and took the people of Judah to be captives. Imagine how the people of God felt when living in their own native land, Israel, they were invaded, occupied, and oppressed by the Roman government. You see, for much of the Bible, even the New Testament portion of the Bible, the people of God lived as exiles. Even the, the first Christians, the very first followers of Jesus, uh, they, they were exiles as well. The reality is, here's how it plays into this series. If you're a Christian today, you are in exile too. You're in exile in a foreign land. In 1 Peter, in the New Testament portion of the Bible, Peter, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, wrote a letter to Christians who were living in, in regions occupied by Rome. Remember, Peter was a, was a Jew by birth. So, so when Jesus arrived on the scene, Peter believed that Jesus was going to take the throne. He, he fully believed that Jesus, the, the long-awaited Messiah, was going to establish a God-fearing Jewish dynasty by overthrowing the Roman government and bringing the power back to Jerusalem. But Peter learned the hard way, or the long way, that Jesus did not come to take the throne from Rome. He came to transform the throne of our hearts. And he goes on to write a whole letter, Peter does, explaining to us how to live as exiles. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this. This letter is from Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners, and I added the word exiles because it can be translated the same way. In fact, many translations use the word exiles, immigrants, or sojourners. So I'm writing to you who are exiles in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. And then he goes on to write this entire letter teaching us how to live as exiles. And I know that there might be somebody here or, or you're listening or watching online thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff, I'm not an exile. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the United States of, of America, and these people, they, they weren't really exiles. They were born and raised in those regions that he mentioned, and to some extent, you're right. But Brian Zond, author and pastor from Missouri, says this about this passage. When Peter wrote his first letter to the Christians living in Roman occupation, he addressed them as exiles. He did this not because they were actual foreigners, 
but because they had been baptized into Christ and had pledged their full allegiance to a new kingdom and were to live as those no longer fully at home in the Roman Empire. Ed Stetzer, author and pastor, worded it this way, As followers of Jesus, God has given us a new kingdom and a new allegiance. You are no longer citizens of this world, but of the world to come. That is the kingdom of God. And his kingdom is the only one that deserves our full allegiance and loyalty. We even see this in scripture, by the way, in other places, this is, is revealed. The apostle Paul in Philippians 3 verse 20, I love this, says it this way, but we are citizens of where? Heaven. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior and with his return, he will bring the kingdom of God forever to earth. So that leads right into the big idea really for this whole series, but we'll use it for today as well. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. And it's this, America might be where we live today, but God's kingdom is our forever home. America, or wherever you're watching or listening from. We got an email a few weeks ago of a family that got connected to Element Church and is watching Element from Australia every single week, which is amazing. So if there's another country you're from, just insert that country. But for us, America, it might be where we live today. But God's kingdom, that's our forever home. It's our forever home, which means as Christians, we are citizens of heaven and makes us exiles today. So here's the big question. If we are exiles, what we have to ask today is this. How should we live as exiles today? If I'm an exile, how do I live as an exile today? Main scripture, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. Uh, starting next week, we're going to dive into the Old Testament book of Daniel. If you want to read ahead, read Daniel chapter 1 for, for next week. For the remainder of the series, we'll be there. We're going to see four major stories in Daniel uh, starting next week. But today, I wanted to start here in 1 Peter. Because almost every week of the series, we're going to see how Daniel and other exiles actually lived out some of the principles we see in this entire letter. We're going to refer back to this letter all through the series. And by the way, if you're here today and you are, are not a, a Christian, I hope you'll stick it out with us through this, this whole series. Uh, even if you don't put your faith in Jesus here, we're going to love you and, and welcome you just the same. And in the series, you're going to see a, a, an awesome picture of what we are called to, to live, how we are called to live as, as Christians. And you're going to see some real life examples, real people who lived this out in real life as legitimate exiles in foreign lands. First Peter is in the, at the end of the New Testament portion of the Bible. If you don't own a Bible today, you can download one called YouVersion. It's 100% free. It's uh, probably the, the most widely used Bible app online. Uh, or if you're here in person, we'll give you one, a hard copy of a Bible with pages and everything. Um, if you just ask for that at guest service before you go, we'll get you one free of charge. Writing to Christians whom he called exiles. Peter continues on now, verses 3 through 5. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we, we exiles, we live with what? Great expectation. 
And we have a priceless inheritance. That's the coming kingdom of God. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So America might be where we live today, but God's kingdom is our forever home. So how do we live as exiles today? The very first thing I see is right from these verses here, we live with expectation. We live as exiles with expectation, specifically the expectation of the return of Christ and with that, his eternal kingdom. We have some misconceptions, I think, in in the faith. You see, heaven is not some mystical place in the sky that we go to someday. One day, heaven will come to earth. And Jesus will establish his kingdom forever on a new and perfected earth where those of us who believe in him will actually live with him forever in his kingdom. So how do we live with expectation for that? How do we live expecting the return of Christ like like that? Well, the best illustration I could come up with is, well, what do you do in your home when someone is coming to visit? Like say, say your friend is coming to stay with you for a few days or a sibling or your parents. Or, or if you're married, uh, what do you do when, when your in-laws are coming to, to stay with you? You get them a hotel room, right? Can I get a witness? No, don't witness that one. Be very, very careful what you do. When I say, I'm totally, totally kidding. I'm totally joking. My in-laws are actually coming here in, in a few weeks. And so we're living this out right now. Like we're actually doing this right now. You... You start living in a, in a different way. When someone's coming to stay with you, you start preparing your home for the arrival of, for lack of a better word, another kingdom. You, you start buying foods and beverages they like. You might set the temperature in the home to what you know they, they enjoy. You might give up your room for them or get the guest room ready or pull out the air mattress or, or whatever it is. You start living in a way that makes preparation for as much of a seamless transition to the arrival of that kingdom as you can. In the same way, or at least a similar way, that's how we should start living in expectation of the kingdom of God, that we live in such a way that when Christ does return with his kingdom, it will be as much of a seamless transition as we can possibly have. This is the fleshing out, by the way, of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just, a, not, not just a prayer for what is to come. It's a prayer for how we should be living our lives today, preparing ourselves and the earth and all of its people for the arrival of the eternal kingdom of God, doing as much as we can, as often as we can, to bring God's kingdom to the earth, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness as Jesus has asked us and commanded us to do. And listen, there's lots of different ways I could challenge us on this, but it's an election year, so I'm going to take the risk and go there. You ready? Nobody's ready. Here we go. Buckle up. At least on the surface, okay, at least on the surface, as I see it, 
It sure seems like many Christians are more concerned about the American kingdom than they are God's kingdom. But God's kingdom is not tied to a political party or candidate. We realize that, right? It's not tied to that. That God's kingdom is not even tied to a country. It's tied to a person. His name is Jesus, and he lives in people regardless of what country they find themselves in. And some people are not going to like me saying this, but we'll all get over it, so here we go. Jesus is not for a country. He's for a kingdom. His kingdom lived out through his people on the earth regardless of where we live. And please don't leave saying I'm not for our country. I love our country. I love America. It's the greatest country on the planet. We are all blessed that God has chosen somehow in his sovereignty to allow us to be born into this country with the freedoms that we have that other people aren't afforded. But it concerns me that according to some recent research and one poll in particular, 53% of Christian pastors said, our congregation sometimes seems to love America more than God. Whoa. That's not living like an exile. Pastor Fred said it beautifully and perfectly a few weeks ago here at the church. He said, don't let your Christianity be conflated with Americanity. So with the election coming up, if it hasn't been clear, let me drive it home a little bit further and let you know where I stand. That as a Christian, as an exile in a foreign land, my allegiance and my hope is not in red or blue, but the color of a bloodstained cross. That my allegiance and my hope is not in a donkey or, or, an, or an elephant. It's in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That my allegiance and my hope is not in a political party. It's in a person. His name is Jesus and he is coming back one day. That my allegiance and my hope is not in a country. It's in a kingdom, the coming kingdom of God. Yes, it is a kingdom that, that is to come and will last forever, but it's also a kingdom that I should live for and I should live out every day. A kingdom filled with the love and mercy and grace and compassion and generosity of our great God. It is a kingdom that I should be expecting by expressing it in my life every day. Rest assured, Christians, the kingdom of God can and will come regardless of who you vote for and regardless of who wins the election. It's his kingdom, not mine or Donald Trump's or Biden's. It's his kingdom. So your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, lived out through me. And please, please, please don't leave saying that I think you shouldn't vote or be involved. I think you should vote. I think we should be as informed and as involved as we possibly can. It's one of the most beautiful parts of our country that we live in the freedom to actually vote on who's in the office from the White House all the way down to the mayor's office. But listen, it's up to us as Christians to expect God's kingdom and express God's kingdom in such a way 
that when the watching world looks at us, this watching world who doesn't believe, they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our hope is in Jesus and not who the next president is. And it's concerning to me that in, our, in the unbelieving part of our culture, when people hear the phrase evangelical Christianity, the first thing they think of is not Jesus, it's a political party. And that's a problem. It's a problem. And guess who are the only people that can fix it? Us. Expecting his kingdom by living it out. America might be where we live today, but God's kingdom is our forever home. So how do we live as exiles today? We, we live with expectation of that kingdom. And then Peter continues, verses 6 through 8. So, or literally, because, because God's kingdom is coming, be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Is that not relevant to today? These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. What a great statement. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. That's awesome. I, I, so much there that we don't have time to unpack. But the second thing, again, we see right from this scripture, second way we, we live as exiles is we live with endurance. We live with endurance. We're going to see this all the way through Daniel. It's actually our expectation of the coming kingdom that enables us to live with endurance no matter what happens in the earthly kingdom. Our expectation enables our endurance. We looked at this in our sermon series back in June called Fragile. The Apostle Paul, we were preaching through 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, and Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, the kingdom of God. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Or in other words, as Peter said in our scripture, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though we must endure many trials for a little while. I, I'm sorry, I can't spend more time on this here, but I, I'm choosing not to because you can go all the way back to Sunday, March 15th, the first Sunday that we were in kind of lockdown. And many of the messages through this whole last season have revolved around this idea of enduring trials in life. So go all the way back to March, and uh, you can go to our the watch page of our website or our podcast. I would encourage you to go back if you want to be to learn more about this idea of endurance. Go back and watch and listen to previous messages. America might be where we live today, but God's kingdom is our forever home. So how should we live as exiles? We live with expectation of the coming kingdom of God. We live with endurance. By, by, by faith in Jesus, the power to live through the many trials. And we're going to end on a, on a high note here. 1 Peter 1, 9 through 12, Peter ends, the, at least this section here says this. The reward for trusting Jesus will be the salvation of your souls. 
This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They, the prophets, they wondered. These men that God used to actually write out his words in the Old Testament scripture, they wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about. When he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. Literally us in the room. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Isn't that awesome? So the third way we live as exiles is this, number three, we live with engagement. We live with engagement. And if you're here today and you're single, hoping to be married one day, it's not that engagement I'm talking about. Sorry to burst your bubble, hope you get all you want in life, but that's not what I'm talking about. So engage what? Engage the moment. Engage the opportunity. That, that yes, these are trying times in which we live. Yes, we are actually living it. And what Peter was, was talking about, many trials. And I can say, you can say, over the last several months, there has been so much pain, so much hurt, so much loss, so much anger and division and uncertainty and unknown. And, and as as your pastor, as the lead pastor of this church, my mind is exhausted trying to keep up with all that could be done, all that needs to be done, all that should be done, all that we might have to do based on the thousand different scenarios of what actually might happen. My heart is, is heavy and grieved for the millions and millions of people who have been affected by this season physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially. But church, while there's all these trials and pain and suffering, what an amazing opportunity we have in the midst of it. Like this is what the church and this is what Christians were built for. We were made for this moment in time. And, and going back to our scripture there, it talks about the prophets wondering, the angels watching. We actually get to live in the wonder of what the prophets only wondered about. We get to engage in what the angels are eagerly watching. How cool is that? Like angels, these sword-wielding, muscle-bulging, mighty, angelic warriors of God's heavenly army, they, they, they are eagerly watching the plan of God unfold. They are eagerly watching what's happening. I picture the angels sitting on the edge of their seats or standing on the edge of eternity, and they are watching what God is doing in and through his people. They are watching us live with expectation in the coming kingdom of God. 
God. They are watching God's people connected to, to his Holy Spirit's power endure trials of many kinds. Even in the midst of this pandemic and crazy world in which we live, they are watching people again and again and again put their faith in Jesus. I'm telling you, church, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how long we're going to be able to gather as a church. Right now, I don't know what we should do next or what we should prepare for next as a church. I don't know how long until Jesus comes back. I don't know how long until my God gives me my last breath. But I'm telling you, church, as exiles, we need to engage what is going on in our world right now with the love and mercy and grace and compassion and generosity of Jesus. As a church, let's give the angels something worth watching, shall we? Shall we? Let's live with some engagement. Like we all, as Christians, we always talk about wanting to experience heaven. But the angels in heaven are eagerly watching what we get to experience today. How incredible is that? So let's not miss our opportunity, even in the middle of a pandemic and political upheaval and racial tension. Let's live out our vision, church. Our vision actually cannot be touched by what happens in the world. That's what makes it a great vision. We exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. And we can do that no matter what happens in this world. So where's the Holy Spirit of God pressing in on you today? Where's he pressing in? Have you got distracted by the earthly kingdom? I need to put your gaze back on the heavenly kingdom, expecting it and expressing it? Are you going through some trials? Many of you are. And you need to tap into the power of the spirit of Christ to endure the many trials in life. Do you need to engage an opportunity? Engage a moment in your little sphere of influence to bring the gospel into what's happening in this world? I hope as a church that we will always be the kind of place that seizes the moment of the day, even engaging in the messy and divisive conversations happening in our world right now. We need to bring the gospel into those moments because it's only the gospel that truly matters. So where's the Holy Spirit pressing in on you? Just ask, just take a moment and ask that. If you're a Christian, ask it. God, where are you pressing in on me? Father in heaven, I, I cannot see how you're working on hearts, but I trust you are. I know you challenged mine. So, Lord, for all of us in the room, for those of us who claim to be believers, God, if there, if there is any of us who have taken our eyes off of the coming kingdom and put them on an earthly one, would you redirect our gaze back to you? 
Help us to live with expectation by expressing your kingdom on earth. Lord, for the many people who are facing trials of all different kinds, Lord, I know it's happening. Lord, would you, would you invade their life with your Holy Spirit? And give them the strength to endure. There is great joy ahead, but right now it doesn't feel like it. So give them strength. Lord, would you help us to engage the moment. Engage the opportunity to bring the gospel into the world around us. Help us, Lord. Live as exiles today. May we give the angels something worth watching. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you, though, here in the room or watching or listening, those things I just prayed for, they aren't even the things that matter most in your faith because you've never put your faith in Jesus. Never done it. And here's why that's a big deal, because all of us have sinned. All of us. And our sin actually separates us from God. And if that sin goes undealt with, it will become an eternal separation. And here's my favorite phrase from Scripture. I say it almost every week. But God loved you so much, he had a plan. The plan's name is Jesus. God in the flesh. He came as one of us. He modeled a perfect life for us. He died because of us, paying the price for our sins. But three days later, he rose victorious so that any one of us, by faith in him, could be forgiven of our sins, given a new life today, power to live our lives for him every day. And then one day, one day, he'll bring his kingdom to earth forever, and we will be with him forever, forever. So if Jesus came back today, would you be with him? That's the question. That's the question. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus to change your life, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. This prayer doesn't save you. Jesus does. This prayer expresses your faith in Christ. So you can just say it silently in your heart to God. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe, Jesus, you are God. So I profess my faith in you. I confess all my sins to you. Please forgive me of everything I've ever done. I repent of the way I have lived my life. I am turning by your help to follow you in a new life. I receive from you salvation. Come into my heart. Make me new. Help me live with expectation. Help me live with endurance. Help me live with engagement in this fallen and broken world. Thanks for loving me. I'm going to do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here in the room and prayed that prayer, if you're watching on demand sometime later this week and prayed that prayer, it's the best decision you'll ever make but it's the hardest one you'll ever live out. And we are so proud of you, and we want to welcome you into the family. And the, the best way to do that is by texting the word one to the number that's on your screen, 41400. Text the word one to 41400. We'll welcome you and offer you some free resources, no strings attached, that will get you taking your next steps in Jesus. You need some help in living out this life. We all do, and we want to help you. Also, while you should do that, you should also tell somebody in person, 
If you have a believer in your family, a friend, a coworker, a loved one, just tell them, text them, hey, I put my faith in Jesus today. Put my faith in, let us know. By using that number or emailing church or whatever, we wanna know that you put your faith in Christ. Our prayer team is available today. Uh, they'll have masks on and doing all the distancing things that we're all used to. So if you need prayer for anything, anything at all, stop by the very back of the room and they'll pray for you. Next week, we're diving into Daniel. Super excited to look at, look at how they lived as exiles in a foreign land. What do you say, church? Let's give the angels something worth watching, shall we? I love you guys. Have a great week. You're dismissed.